Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Saturday the 4th of November. I'm Kira Evans, and this was a week that saw the COVID inquiry dig into Downing Street, Israel pushed deep into Gaza, the Beatles return, and tributes to a friend star. Grab a cup of something hot, put up your feet, and get up to speed on the seven biggest stories of the week. This is the standout seven from the small seven. It's news, but not the news. You called ministers useless pigs. Morons. That was from an email sent by Dominic Cummins, former chief advisor to Boris Johnson, which was read out at the COVID inquiry on Tuesday. The official COVID inquiry has been quietly working away, interviewing all of the key figures involved in the pandemic, but it may be 2027 before we get to see a final report. The current module focuses on what went on in Downing Street during the early days of the pandemic. First up was Martin Reynolds, the former principal private secretary to the Prime Minister, who became known as Party Marty, after an email leaked in which he invited one 100 people to a bring-your-own-booze lockdown party. He was questioned at length on Monday about the mood inside number 10 during the early days of the pandemic in 2020. There was quite a bit of unease in the civil service around, and I excuse my language, the so-called shit list of people who were thought to be at risk in what was perceived to be a potentially more muscular approach to the civil service. There's been plenty of testimony about Boris's plan to let it rip and now his tone changed after he himself caught COVID. Tuesday saw a day full of swearing. In fact, it's a pity the inquiry didn't have a swear jar as they'd have covered a significant amount of their costs today. The inquiry heard from two of Boris's inner circle as they were walked through the major events of 2020 with the dawn of the pandemic and the first phase of lockdown. Dominic Cummins in particular was scathing about his colleagues at the time and inquiry KC Hugo Keith wanted to know if he felt his own tone contributed to the overall lack of effectiveness of ministers. My appalling language is obviously my own but uh, my judgment of a lot of senior people was widespread. Johnson must have cringed as he watched descriptions of his incompetence as Cummins explained why everyone referred to him as a trolley and also his half-hearted endorsement from his former director of communications Lee Kane. What will probably be clear in Covid it was the wrong crisis for this Prime Minister's skill set, which is different, I think, from not potentially being up to the job of being Prime Minister. Wednesday saw considerably less swearing as former Deputy Cabinet Secretary Helen McNamara testified, but she did point out that the Cabinet Office had made it extremely difficult for her to access emails or messages from her time there. She also described a toxic culture in Downing Street and said that women's perspectives were ignored, which may have had serious consequences for domestic violence victims during lockdown. She painted a picture of an underprepared and indecisive decision-making process as the pandemic began. I don't think we understood how serious COVID could be for certain people. I don't think we properly understood any of the serious consequences like long COVID, any of these things. 
The COVID inquiry turned its attention to former Health Secretary Matt Hancock on Thursday. Sir Simon Stevens, the former chief of the NHS England, was in the witness box and he was asked about Hancock's approach to the pandemic. As COVID-19 hit, the NHS was under tremendous pressure and the issue in government circles was how to manage and prioritise patients for care. During a planning exercise in 2020, Hancock told officials that he believed if the NHS was overwhelmed, it should be he who decided who would live or die and not medical professionals. Sir Stevens did not agree. I certainly wanted to discourage the idea that an individual Secretary of State should be deciding how care would be provided. This week has seen testimony about a macho culture in Downing Street and male-driven decision-making that caused serious problems. Dr Catherine Haddon from the Institute for Government says it's clear that a lack of diversity in views was an issue. You very rarely got a female minister doing one of the press conferences because those perspectives just weren't there, that, that real-world perspective, but also the difference of a female perspective compared to a male perspective. This week saw the casualty count mount as Israel pushed its forces deep into the Gaza Strip. The latest numbers from the Gaza Health Ministry say that over 9,000 Palestinians have been killed, with thousands more injured. With the ground assault progressing at speed and airstrikes continuing, former permanent representative of the United Kingdom of the United Nations, Sir Mark Lyle Grant, was warning that Israel risks losing international support if they continue with their tactics. If this continues as it does and thousands more uh, civilians die in Gaza, then Israel will lose completely international opinion. There is still no prospect of a ceasefire, though, as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made clear in a speech delivered in English on Monday evening. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas. That will not happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war. In the UK, there was political fallout from the weekend's protest with a Tory MP, Paul Bristow, sacked from his front bench job because he wrote a letter to Rishi Sunak calling for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Home Secretary Suella Braverman spoke out against protest marches, calling them hate marches because the protesters showed support for Palestine. She was warning that the UK is keeping a close eye on the potential for domestic terror as Rishi chaired a Cobra meeting on Israel. As Sir Mark Rowley himself said, there is an accelerated terrorism threat because of what's happening. And it's vital that we keep a close eye on the developing situation. Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer also spoke out about the conflict on Tuesday, clarifying his stance and why he believes any military action needs to have a limited time span. Neither the long-term security of Israel nor long-term justice for Palestine can be delivered by bombs and bullets. Open-ended military action is ultimately futile. There was some positive news on Wednesday from Gaza as the Rafah border crossing was finally opened, allowing dozens of injured Palestinians to leave for treatment in Egypt. About 320 foreign passport holders were also able to leave the war-ravaged country, including British and American citizens. There was no let-up in the fighting, however, as Israeli airstrikes continued and they claimed to have killed another senior Hamas leader, Mohammed Asar, who was in charge of the anti-tank missile unit. By Friday morning, Israeli troops had encircled Gaza City entirely. Negotiations continue for the release of more than 200 hostages held by Hamas and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says the process has been difficult. We've got Hamas there. It's not obviously the most reliable partner to to deal with because it's a question of not just getting aid in. What's important to me also is being able to bring our British nationals and indeed the hostages out of Gaza.
The UK's first AI safety summit got underway on Wednesday at Bletchley Park in Buckinghamshire. The guest list included about 100 world leaders, tech bosses and academics who signed a formal statement on what's called Frontier AI. The Bletchley Declaration, signed by the UK, the US, the EU and China, says that all agree AI should be kept safe and remain human-centric, trustworthy and responsible. Among those attending are Elon Musk and US Vice President Kamala Harris. She also met with Rishi Sunak at Downing Street to discuss the ongoing situation in Palestine. King Charles addressed the attendees, which include the world's richest man, Elon Musk, in a video message at the start of proceedings. US Vice President Harris said that the threats posed by AI are profound. When people around the world cannot discern fact from fiction because of a flood of AI-enabled mis- and disinformation, is that not existential for democracy. Also in attendance was former Deputy PM and Lib Dem leader Sir Nick Clegg. He's now the President of Global Affairs for Meta, but he was urging caution about regulation. If you overdo it in legislation, then it's very easy for other less scrupulous authorities to say, well, if they're doing, doing a version of this in legislation in democracy A, then why can't we do it in our, in our country B? The event was certainly a diplomatic success for Rishi and the UK, with a high-profile guest list, including a delegation from China. Things concluded with an awkward online interview between Rishi and Elon, in which they discussed the future of AI. And while it's clear that there's a risk from the technology, it's not clear that those such as Musk, who say it could end humanity, are correct. Meanwhile, AI has already been used to create and spread disinformation, with the current conflict in Gaza a focal point for fake and AI-generated stories and images. Rishi spoke at the closing of the summit and he was determined to make Britain's case as a leader in a world of new opportunities. AI has the potential to transform our lives in every aspect from healthcare to education and our economy. Thanks to the actions we've taken this week, Britain is well placed to be at the forefront of that change. Russia's war in Ukraine continues even as the eyes of the world are on Israel. There are nightly reports of drone and missile attacks and shelling continues in the Kherson region. Ukraine is expecting delivery of the first F-16 fighter planes to a Romanian training centre within two weeks. They're the first to be donated by the Dutch government and they could potentially have a huge impact on the war. In the meantime, Chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Tory MP Alice Kearns, was warning that the world needs to remain vigilant and now is not the time to slow or withdraw support for Ukraine. Russia has upped its bombing campaigns in Ukraine. Russia has also upped its bombing campaigns in Syria. There is no question that while the world's focus is rightly on the appalling situation uh, in Israel and Gaza, that other autocrats are taking the opportunity to try and make progress. This week saw US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken both appear before a US Senate hearing. They were there to make the case for Joe Biden's proposed $105 billion aid package for Ukraine that has been stalled by the ongoing rows in Congress. Even with a new Speaker of the House, MAGA Republicans continue to delay the next aid package for Ukraine and aid for Israel has also been stalled as they argue over funding for the IRS. Both men warned that without continued U.S. support, there's a real risk that Russia will win the war. Minority Leader of the Senate, Republican Mitch McConnell, has made it very clear where he stands on the issue. So this is not just a test for Ukraine. It's a test for the United States and for the free world. And the path toward greater security for all of us is simple. Help Ukraine win the war. Still to come on the Standout 7, King Charles heads to Kenya. The Beatles are back and tributes to a friend star. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back. King Charles and Queen Camilla were on an official state visit to Kenya this week. Wednesday saw Queen Camilla visit the Brook Donkey Sanctuary and take part in a traditional dance with Maasai women. But apart from the traditional state visit activities, there have been calls for a formal apology for the past behaviour of the British Empire, with some also looking for reparations. King Charles did address the issue, including the violent response from Britain during the 1950 Kenyan War of Independence, but he stopped short of making a full apology. The wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and the deepest regret. There were abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence committed. There was a somewhat unexpected new single on Thursday from the Beatles. Given that both John Lennon and George Harrison are no longer with us, nobody was expecting that the legendary British group would be heading back to the charts in 2023. But they are, and it's all thanks to modern technology. Oliver Murray is a writer and director of a short film which explains how the single came about. It's called The Last Beatles Song and it charts the story of how a lost tape was turned into a track called Now and Then. I sort of think of it as sort of like musical archaeology. John was in there, but just buried under all of this stuff. And what you're able to do with amazing fidelity is peel away these layers and brush away all the uh, frequencies that you don't want. He was one of the iconic Friends cast, familiar to billions worldwide. He was Matthew Perry, and on Sunday morning, he died at the age of 54. His portrayal of the wise-cracking Chandler Bing was a huge part of the success of the sitcom Friends, which was watched around the world. He was nominated for three Emmys in his career, including one for his work in the West Wing. He spoke openly about his struggle with alcohol and an addiction to prescription painkillers that saw him in and out of rehab, even as the show was at its peak. He took the battle with addiction seriously and set up a sober house in Malibu dedicated to helping fellow addicts. In fact, he spoke about how important that work was and how he wanted to be remembered back in 2022. Rest in peace, Matthew. Best thing about me, bar none, is if somebody comes up to me and says, I can't stop drinking, can you help me? I can say yes and follow up and do it. That's the best thing. And I've said this for a long time, when I die... I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want that to be the first thing that's mentioned. I'm going to live the rest of my life proving that. You've been listening to The Smart 7. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. Hit that follow button and have a great day. Give us seven minutes, we'll give you the world.